When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You are listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. I have my guys here with me. Matt Welty, how you doing, buddy? Uh, doing all right. I'm alive. Technical difficulties again, though. We got to get it right. We got to get it yeah. right. Need a, need a laptop to stop dying uh, an hour before a shoot, but we're good. We'll, we'll make it work. And, of course, my guy, Brendan Dunn, who not having technical difficulties. He's smiling. He's ready. How are we feeling, though? Here I am. Joe, I got to ask you and Welty, does the pile of sneakers in back of me look any smaller? It does look a little smaller, and I'm guessing it's going to look a little more fuller because you were complaining, ironically, about some things in the slack that, I don't know, didn't pass inspection. And and, and it's actually a ceremonious podcast because uh, maybe it'll come up. Extremely fitting. Yeah. So, I think I mentioned here before, but I'm in the process of downsizing. I'm trying to get rid of a bunch of shoes. Do not, PSA, do not DM me on Instagram. Do not ask me on Twitter if you can buy them. I'm trying to get rid of them in bulk, so so don't even don't even try that conversation. But I'm look what came. To, so sorry, Joe, no, John, you, you go. You, you flex go. on me like that right you now, go. Joe. You no, no, you go, you go, Don. Go ahead. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to. I'm trying to I be honest about this personal growth and go this ahead. journey that I'm embarking on. I'm moving for the first time in eight years, so I'm getting rid of a ton of sneakers. I was lucky enough to go to StockX, drop off center, and and drop off a good 56 pairs. I think they sent nine back, Okay. and I am happy, and I quite enjoyed the customer service while I was there. Shout out to Jose and Adam, who helped me out. Okay, and you were very, very, when when the nine pairs that got rejected, man, were you looking and and soliciting the slack. What, you know, what, do you guys see a problem with this? Do you see a problem? Did you? I didn't look at every single pair, even though I think every single pair that got rejected, you put in the slack. <laughs> no, I, I spared you but some th- of that. But some people, some people are like, oh, you know, that heel, heel tab's a little dirty, so... He tr- he tried to flip the shoes and they came back like a boomerang. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. <laughs> I'm on phase one of this downsize. I need to I need to get rid of about 150 more pairs. I think I'm going to try and do a big flight club drop off. I'm going to do a big donation. Donate about 50 pairs. So, yeah, we're we're really we're really serious about this thing. It's been a stressful day. I literally just got back from a shoot that we can't talk about. That's Can coming in who? a few weeks. Cannot say who, we but it was. It. No, we we. May or may not have been back in the store, and it was uh, felt good to be back. Straight to the podcast. Things are picking up a little bit. How uh, was the weekend, and, and what's going on in sneaker news? What's going on in sneaker news? Um, how about yeah. Drake dropped an entire Nike ad? I mean, yes. music video. Um, definitely not a Nike ad, right? And he kept the shoes 
He kept the shoes obscured a bit, it seemed. It was a little tough for us to figure it out or what? Yeah, I've heard some things, but nothing that I can really put out there conclusively. I'm pretty sure Drake has some stuff coming before the end of the year. But, I, I mean, the jackets he was wearing in there the, with the hearts on them, I think they have his logo on the sleeves. I believe that is a Drake Nike piece. I don't think the shoes. I don't think the shoes look too great from uh, that brief glimpse that we got of them. Not nothing too exciting. It's not, it's not for me. Judging just like the Union Fours, maybe. Uh... No, it, it almost looked like. Uh, I think I had said that I thought maybe it was the Jordan Cadence. It wasn't, but it it kind of looks in the vein of kind of a generic Air Max model. Mm. I, I have a lot more I could say about that uh, music yeah. video, but yeah, I know we, we can't we heard. say. Oh, I know we, can't we heard. say anything more because we had a story in the works. And an NDA got in the way. Do you like the song, Joe? Do I like the song? Yeah. I do like the song. I, I like the song. And what did you guys think of the jet skiing in the Nike Campus Lake? Big flex. Yeah. Gigantic flex. He went to the employee store. I've only been to the employee store once. Which wasn't too impressed. Wasn't too impressed. There wasn't uh there wasn't too much there. I think uh this was twenty eighteen or something like that. There was some World Cup jerseys left mm-hmm. over. There was like those Atmos safaris that uh dropped. There wasn't anything that you're like, oh wow, those are there, you know? Like it's good for dry fit and it's good for socks and things like that. The sneakers in the employee store aren't always amazing. I've only been there Especially if you're as jaded as we Yeah, are. that's true. I've only been there once. Uh but it was very cool to visit and you could definitely get like some good gear there. Great for gifts. So do you think we're going to see this? We're finally going to see like the Drake collaboration take shape or what? Yes. You think now it's, it's, it's going to happen like for sure. Yes. This was the, the video was what is going to kick it off and it's going to be full force because it, it hasn't really been full force. It's, it's been a bunch of false it's starts go full essentially. force next year when they drop his Air Force One. By the way, I I don't want to see too many... I know I tweeted about this video a bunch, and I'll probably look for some more memes and jokes to get off, but I am so glad in this song that Drake did not give us any lyrics for Nike employees to use on their Instagram captions for the next 18 months. Oh, my God. And if you work at Nike (laughs) and you didn't work on this campaign, I don't want you tweeting about it like, like, oh, oh, we did it. The the one thing I do hope... For the, for the Drake product is, is I think that we can all agree that the biggest disappointment from the previous Jordan stuff was that it was just so, like, label-heavy that it was, like, I mean, label meaning OVO, that it, it didn't really feel personal to Drake. It was just, like, oh, let's do a white and gold, black and gold sneaker where it wasn't, like, like Travis ones or something like that, where there's some sort of design language to it, where you're like, mm. you don't, you don't look at it instantly. Just say, Oh, of course it's like a piece of merch from, from Travis's Astro stamp a logo on and keep it moving. Yeah. I, I hope that they really do something with Drake where you're like, Hey, that's a unique sneaker. And it's funny because we mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that Brendan flew out of Portland and then Drake's jet was, in Portland, and we knew it had something to do with Nike, but it was about this video. Our friend Tommy Battle pointed that out, that this is why Drake's plane was in Portland. He was shooting this video. We thought maybe he was in the Innovator kitchen or something like that, and uh, no, it was, it was him jet skiing in the lake. So, Listen, guys, I was on the ground trying to get as much information as I could, but I couldn't I couldn't, um, couldn't, couldn't chase the, the story. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry I let everyone down. What do you guys got this week for a full-size run? I had a fun one. Blockboy JB. Oh, did you shoot it yet? We did shoot it. It was a great time. I'm actually a little nervous because sometimes 
when we have a rapper who doesn't seem to be a sneakerhead, the, the whole audience is, is upset that we he's, he's not a sneakerhead or something like that. Oh, welcome to my we're just, world. You, we're just using him for clout or something like that, you know. Listen, if you if you hear the type of stuff Blockboy JB is talking about, this dude cares about sneakers and this dude loves sneakers. Just because he doesn't love them or care them or talk about them in the same way that you do, yeah, doesn't 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 make his experience any less. Guys, worried. I've been saying that for years. I've been saying it was that for one of the years. most upbeat converse, upbeat convos too. It which was uh, it was just it was really nice. It wasn't short, funny, you know, one line answers or whatever. It was he was joking around the whole time and. To speak about employee stores, there's a lot of employee store talk from Memphis, right? The distribution center in Memphis. That's insider info, baby. Yeah, that's what they call copping. <laughs> Sneaker stories went live with Yachty Monday, of course, and yeah. people are are receiving it well. You know, Yachty always. The good thing about Yachty is he'll never get jaded in collecting. I don't think because he always finds different things to go after this yeah. time it seems like 1985 chicago's and be true to your school dunks and yadi as young as he is really kind of an elder statesman when it comes to collecting so he's got some crazy stuff man yeah and those 1985s looked really really good definitely crispy and the prices on those as discussed in the episode of sneaker stories went crazy this year so if you didn't get in on mm -hmm. jordan ones from 1985s already it's it's a bad time even me i was thinking about acquiring some old dunks and i realized it's a bad time because the prices are just inflated right now. Not, not the things I need to be spending money on. Yeah, you have that super cooked '85 pair, right, Brendan? I have I have a pair of Jordan ones, black and red, from 1985. I will wow. not be getting rid of those when I'm downsizing. But yeah, I'm where's the to... best place to get those now? I don't know, man. I yeah, mean, before it was eBay, you know. What um, what year did you get them in? Because I know you've had them for not a long time, but quite some time. Uh, maybe 2015. I bought that pair. Yeah, I think I wore them to Spike Lee's birthday party one year. Really? Yeah, so they do have some sentimental value attached, even though they came to my life later on. That's in the, that's in the keep pile. Joe, did you watch the fights over the weekend? I did watch the fight. Uh, Here we go. I did watch the fight. <laughs> Daniel Cormier, well, our guy, you know, who's on both of our shows. Close personal friend. I don't, th I don't think he's retiring, though. Do you? I think he is. He, he, he put it out there. I know. I saw that letter. I saw the farewell letter, but I don't know. I think... It was it was a good fight. Those nights are so long, though. Like yeah, those that was fight cards. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> old, man. Like it's one o'clock, and I'm like, wow, this is such a long fight card. And but it was it was a good fight between two Stipe. two like yeah, two just professionals. I was disappointed because the in the in the the co-main event he got hurt the guy Sugar Show yes and I I was gonna hit you up because I was thinking in the back of my head I was gonna be like Joe you need to pay attention to this kid because if he had won that fight in the back of my head I'm kind of like he's the sort of kid who could be on sneaker shopping one day yes yes uh, that was unfortunate you, he definitely got hurt what was it an ankle or a knee you saw right away of yeah, course yeah he, uh, he he fucked up his foot pretty bad. But September 26th, Izzy fighting. Dana White's already calling it the fight of the year. Yeah, Paulo Costa. That's going to that's gonna be a good one. I think I think Joe's brought him up multiple times, and Brendan's asked, is he good? Multiple yeah, times. Yeah, he's, he's dope. <laughs> I need the prognosis, baby. Which shows you how much, how much, uh, yeah, how much uh, fighting conversation. And then, of course, 10 days away or so from the Union, Jordan 4s. Joe, you got a pair lined up? I, I hope so. I hope so. Do you know what was a funny comment that I realized in, the, in last week's podcast that kind of went under the radar? Tell me. Was that uh, Dion had made a comment about, like, oh, I'm sick and tired of these guys 
trying to get six pairs of grateful oh, don't dead do dunks, it. Don't d- do it. dunks and, and keep them to themselves. <laughs> Relating to who, Welty? Relating to any person who's in the conversation right it now? It didn't go under the radar. No one asked me to get them in my size. Dave Matthews asked me... Okay, so Dave Matthews, our producer, asked me for a pair of Grateful Dead dunks literally six weeks after they released. He was like, hey, can you get me a pair? That's insane and when people do that. Oh, my that God. That is the only person who, who asked me for them. I would have been... Well, no, but you I had mean, like six was, pairs. That that was that was yeah. like what the comment was. But I know. You blessed I, Dave I, Matthews. No, we're not the same size. The size that he wanted. Yes, it was for his wife, who was a Grateful Dead head. But I, I wealthy man, Dion Point is love. Did you see how much like sharing went on? Like, yeah, we need part two because he was a little, he was a little conservative with the stories. That guy has so many more stories than that. We should oh, get yeah. Rob Hepler on. He's Rob Hepler one. has tons of stories, for sure. He would be a great guest. But we got some good guests coming up in the next few weeks. Very excited. Very excited. We talked about done you clearing out some shoes. I'm trying to move, man. I'm trying to this, – this is a big shift in my priorities in this in this new decade in my life. I'm, you know, reinvest a lot of this money into, into furniture and some nice things for the house. I'm trying to buy a Persian rug. Did you know – this website, Carpet Vista, they won't let me buy one because of the Iran sanctions. Uh, I did not know that. I can't import a Persian rug because of the sanctions against Iran right now. Are you guys ever interested in storage? You're not interested or in not? that? No, I have no idea what you're talking about, so we got to move on. I, I know it's like us talking about the UFC, but we got to move on. Yeah, you guys got where, five minutes on the UFC, but I can't yeah, talk I know, about I feel bad, but we all got to talk minute. about we got to talk about things that we all know. So, storage units. Have you guys ever looked into it? No, Why it's not? a coward. It's a coward's move because what? it's not a solution. It's not a solution to your problem. It is okay. a band aid, and it's an expensive one. Okay. You have to just confront it when you're ready to do that. You have to confront it. You have to get rid of stuff, or you have to decide where you're going to keep, or you have to give things away. Because a storage unit is just this out of sight, out of mind idea that I don't think is totally in line with reality. And you're also paying money for it, so you got to save that money to buy a nice rug. Yeah. Look at you putting the new apartment together. Persian rugs. Wow. All right. Uh, it came. The new packaging okay, came. Okay, now flex on us. No, not flexing, but now just flex. saying <laughs> the new packaging came, the Chunky Dunky Nike SBs. And Joe, man, can, can, are, you, are you planning any sort of Instagram stunt for this? Will, will I see you eating no. Uh, no. frozen yogurt out of that giant cylindrical box? No, I'm not going to do that. No? I'm not going to do that. You know, there's only one guy who could do that. Our guy. Do I have to <laughs> say it? Say his Hickman. name. Hickman. The goat. Hickman. The goat. Joe, he, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavor? I don't think we ever even discussed that. your card right now. Yeah. <laughs> name I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not trying to. Pull it out. I didn't know what like if Joe LaPuma has oh, a, no. like a go-to ice cream. Not a big ice cream guy. You know what I am? A big Friendly's watermelon roll, a Long Island suburban <laughs> staple. Do you know what that is? Tell me what Wealthy, that is. Do you know what that it's is? Like the, um, it's like it's like the log roll, but it looks yes. like a watermelon. Yes, and it's it's basically like sherbet, essentially, cream? right? Yes, it's sherbet. Is I've that, never heard of this. Hold on, is you get it, these is it on sh- Long Island? Uh, on the island, Friendly's is like a yeah. Watermelon roll, sherbet meets ice cream treat made famous by Friendly's restaurants. It's my favorite. It's like a summer staple. I'm not a big ice cream guy, but I love the watermelon roll. Well, I hope someone from Friendly's is listening right now and they could send us each a shipment. I know. I just remember going to Friendly's as a kid and you'd get so excited you'd go there with like four other families because it's a you know family restaurant. And then it yes. would take like two, two hours yes, the service. to get you – 
to get your gr- to get your grilled cheese. I can still taste yes. that grilled cheese, but it takes two hours to get it. The chicken licking platter, three forty nine. You get two chicken fingers, fries, a Coke, and a Sunday, three forty nine. We used to you get. You guys might as it's, well be talking about UFC again because I don't think no, I, I don't think I'm aware of this place. Man, you missed you out. It was you great. You could have raised the chicken yourself. Yes. And like harvested it in the time that it would have taken for the food yeah. to get to your plate. Friendlies was the best hangout growing up. And yeah. So hey, how'd we get here? I don't know. But the this Union the Fours banter. are still dropping on the 29th in Union. No so no matter what. Yeah. It's a it's a this is a sneaker podcast that hey listen, it goes off the rails sometimes. But Dunn, you know, you are liquidating and it's ironic that our guest on today's podcast is not only tangentially involved in helping liquidating sneakers he's fully involved in it so let's get to this week's guest hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Our guest on today's podcast started collecting sneakers at the early age of 11 years old. It was back then that his love for sneakers started to bubble, but it was in college where he got the tools to learn how to start online businesses and lay the foundation for companies that changed the industry forever. When other sneaker-focused blogs were writing about release dates of shoes, he took another path while working at IBM and merged the latest drops with data and created Campless in 2012. The website took analytics of footwear sales of secondary markets like eBay and informed consumers of the changing values of sneakers. Four years later, he co-founded a consignment service you may have heard of called StockX, a hybrid of a stock market for sneakers and a user-friendly platform to buy and sell product like we've never seen before. In recent years, the company received an evaluation over $1 billion. Quite impressive. Please welcome to the Complex Sneakers Podcast, Josh Luber. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, buddy? I am amazing. I am amazing. So let's get right into it. I know the Air Jordan 5 was your first favorite, but it was the Jordan 11 Concord that was your first Jordan that you bought. And it was funny. To me, it was ironic because there was almost like a resale story to that Jordan Concord 11. Can you tell the audience about that story? 
Yeah. Um, you know, so I am now 42 years old. And, and like many of you and like most of the people that we talk to, I have the exact same story as every other 42-year-old sneakerhead here, right? I grew up playing basketball when Jordan played and I always wanted Air Jordans and my mom would never buy me Air Jordans. And, you know, as soon as I got my first job, uh, I graduated college in 1999. And, um, and so it was, um, you know, it was at the end of that year, it was, um, it was around holiday of, of 99 uh, going into 2000. Um, and, uh, you know, this was me going to buy my first pair of Jordans and I went into a mall. I lived in Atlanta and I went into a mall and it wasn't foot locker, but it was one of the smaller ones. It was like a foot action or, or one of those joints. And, uh, and man, like, you know, this was two, three months after the, the Concord 11 had, had released. Obviously this was the re-release, right? The first one came out in 96 and, uh, they had a pair on the wall and I was like, I was like, you got a 10 and a half and they, Two guys working there. They looked at each other. They looked at me. They looked at each other. They looked, and I was like, "What?" And they're like, "Well, you know, we had one. We had one left. We were going to sell it on eBay." I was like, "No, no, no." I was like, "You guys got to let me buy this. Like, this is my first pair of Jordans, you know." Right. And um, and they let me buy it. And you know, at the time, I still played you know basketball you know two, three, four times a week. And and I played in that shoe for the next two years. I mean, that was my rec league shoe for the next two, three years. And I, and I had my personal career high. I had 51 in a game wearing that. So. Okay. No, Josh, you had 51, 51 points. Got it. Got to be the shoes. I did. I had wow. 15, I had 15 threes. And uh, <laughs> what? In uh, 15 threes? We shooting nah, on an man. eight foot hoop. <laughs> yeah, I, you know there was there was a time I could ball. We were oh look, it was the B League like rec league championship, but you know, but there was a time I I could I could shoot. Um, that's that's funny because I ran a 4:49 mile in high school, and no one believes that either. So we have some some proven or not proven. Yeah. Athletic accomplishments, but it did happen. Yeah, I, I believe it, right? You know, not that you're a, not that you're a marathoner today. That's okay. <laughs> right? That's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, and I, and I still have that pair of, of Jordan Elevens, and they're beat to all hell, uh, and they look like you know if you played basketball on them for two years. But yeah, like that was the that was the first pair, and it was just super exciting. But you know, for years, I never wore Jordans off the court or any basketball shoes off the court because I felt like okay, that's on the court. And so off the court, I'd wear I'd wear more low top stuff. Honestly, more like Adidas, Air Max, that sort of stuff off the court. Did you become a sneaker collector off the strength of that Concord Jordan Eleven, or did you take a break for a while before you really got super into it? No, no. So I mean, I had been collecting sneakers all my life at that point, but I just never had the money or the bandwidth to go to buy a lot or to buy Jordans. You know, it was gotcha. Like you commit your mother to buy one a year, but I saved every one of those pairs. I mean, I have all the stuff that I used to wear, you know, in, in high school and middle school. So what were you wearing back then? Um, well, like for, you know, I'd wear like the, um, uh, like, you know, the different versions of like the Nike flights, um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, like the Hirachi one year, um, you know, the Air Maestro was like a big shoe on my first year. Like that was actually one of my favorite shoes before. Right. So, cause I also wasn't, despite my, my 51 point game. I also felt like I wasn't good enough to, to wear Jordans in high school, right? Like Interesting. Post Jordan, you're in a rec league. Man, you show up to like a high school game, like wearing a pair of Jordans as like, you know, a five nine white guy, like you better be pretty fucking good, right? Otherwise, like you're you're just gonna get to so I almost felt like I wasn't good enough to wear them uh in that level organized. But once, you know, you're in rec league and that that Josh couldn't have scored fifty one points. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Not not in not in high school. Not in high school. There's a reason that my my uh, professional career ended uh, ended there. But it's all about all this comes back to like our love for like basketball and, yeah. and shoes and playing in them and wearing them. Right. Like that's that's for all of us. It started there. And when you were collecting, did you see even from a young age value in it, or it was just for love of shoes? 
I saw the the lack of money I had to buy them. Yeah. I think it was absurd how much shoes would go for on eBay, you mm-hmm. know, back then when, you know, I mean, it was probably relatively cheap to now, right? You know, you're paying maybe 2X retail for right. these shoes. Yeah. Um, and so that was really my viewpoint of like any other, you know, 18 year old, 20 year old, 25. Like, I just was like, man, how do I get some money to buy a pair of Jordans? And it just seems so expensive and so outlandish. But I certainly wasn't looking at it on the business side of it at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really just of like any other kid, like, how do I get more shoes? You weren't thinking like, how can I one day dethrone eBay in the sneaker space? Yeah. Not yet. eBay, eBay hadn't, hadn't thrown yet. Right. Like yeah, think about right. like, what, what life was like in yeah. 2000. Like eBay was, was just the only place you could really get shoes. They certainly weren't, weren't a king. I think even, even when you ended up starting campless early on, it was all data. And I, I think it was, it was a little bit hard for people to understand because it was just these really long blog posts as, as everyone remembers, they were like 10,000 words and it, it was so like minute in, in the data. But do you think even back then, that people didn't really even understand while you were comparing the resale value of all these different sneakers. Yeah, you know, I I, I love that that's what what people remember because really Campus was just a price guy, right? Mm. This was it was just this was Beckett for mm, Beckett. For, for shoes. This was just um, understanding what are prices worth because at the time our best source was we'd go look at like Flight Club sales, but. If you knew, you knew that Flight Club was pretty overpriced. Right. So, you know, but at least it was a gauge. At least there was somewhere where you'd go look at like eBay sold auctions and, and figure out what, what shoes were worth. So really it was just a price guide. But what happened was when we put out that first price guide at campus, the very first one, and nobody knew me from anyone in the sneaker industry. And, and we put it out there, we got zero reaction. And the reason why is because anyone could just put some numbers on a piece of paper or on a, on a website and just say, hey, this is the value of, of sneakers. I had no credibility. And so our thought was, well, if we show our work, if we show all the analytics and data and all the stuff that's going into the numbers, at least we can create some sort of credibility in the price guide. And so that led of, to the blog and that led to the, these very long analytic pieces that were really meant to, to show, to, you know, like third grade math, like you got to show your work. Mm-hmm. And we knew that it was going over the head of most people. And that was okay. Like the, the point was like, have some credibility in the data, but what really ended up being the catalyst to this whole thing was for that like 1% of the people that really, really love sneakers and really love data, those people were super activated and they came out of the woodwork and said, hey, can I help? I want to volunteer. I want to be involved in this. I love sneakers. I love data. There's also this really good, cool moment where it was happening like right after the movie Moneyball had come out, where mm. into like analytics and sports. And that led to me building this kind of volunteer army while I was at IBM to help work on campus to move it forward, which would eventually lead me to sell it to Dan Gilbert and, become, and turn it into StockX. So it really was tapping into to that. And, um, and so it was, it was an interesting dichotomy. And I love the fact that that's what, what people still remember. Back then, did you like data more or sneakers more? Oh, sneakers. Okay. I mean, not even close. What happened was, you know, I shut down. I'm a startup guy. I, I've started and run you know, four other companies besides um, StockX and Campus. And uh, I, you know, you mentioned IBM in my bio, and that's true. And I worked as, as a consultant at IBM for five years, but man, I never thought I'd work at IBM in a million years. I had shut down my last startup during the crash of 08, 09, worst job market of my life. And, and it was kind of- Did just, you lose a bunch of money? Uh, we, we shut down the company and lost the, the investor's money. Yeah, like yeah. It, was, it was not a good uh, scenario. Um, what was the company? That company was, um, uh, it was called Servinity. 
Oh, I, I read about that. Yes. It was, it was essentially um, schedule management for restaurants. So how do you manage your staff in a place where maybe you have 10 people working today, but you have 60 people that work at the restaurant and 50 of them aren't there. So it was like, what, what was happening was a friend of mine was using MySpace to manage his bar staff. And he like posted a schedule in MySpace and people needed to trade shifts. They would trade shifts. And the reality was we built this product in 2006, 2007 before the iPhone came out. Like today, this is an app. Today, today the, like it was just, there was a lot of reasons why the company didn't work out. But, you know, I, I had to sit there and pick up the phone and call every single investor and say, hey, you know, your money's gone. It's not coming back. We're, we're shutting down the company, which was, um, you know, really one of the most memorable days of my life as an entrepreneur. And I still think about that. And I still have that list of the people that invested in the money that they put in. You're going to back? We'll see. We'll see. This <laughs> goes. I, I still got the list. Um, is, it, is Dan Gilbert paying off your debts? Was that was that part of the whole StockX deal? <laughs> Those debts are are well, they're not debts anyway. But, but no, no, that's that's not a that's not part of uh, part of anything. Um, but the it's not part happened, of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like you show up to take a, take a new job, you move over from uh, from complex to hype beast, and you think that uh, that Kevin's going to pay off your credit card bill, <laughs> like you know that's. Um, no, but so what happened was, is I was shutting down this company and a, and a classmate of mine from business school reached out and said, Hey, I heard you shut down your company. You should come work with me at IBM. And I was like, bro, I was like, I don't think you get it. I was like, my company has four people. IBM is 400,000, like not for me, but kind of one conversation led to the other. And, um, and it was a good job at a time that I needed a job. But the real value was I walked in there thinking I had some idea about how to work with data. And to realize I had no idea, but then learned a whole lot about data really quickly. And that was the now bringing my personal passion of sneakers into it at a good time. Basically, I was working on this massive data project right when the Galaxy uh, foam release happened in Got February it. of 2012. And, you know, we all know this was just like the catalyst for all these people coming yes. back into the industry and everything growing. And that was the, the like, why is there no price guide thought? I was like, I bet all this data work on my IBM I'm doing, I could figure out how to build a price guide. And that's kind of how it started rolling. Were you coming into it then more as a buyer or as a seller? Like, were you reselling oh, sneakers at all? Yeah, a buyer, a hundred percent. I mean, I've sold a couple pairs here and there when I either didn't want them or, or I was fortunate enough to be able to, to you know, get to get two pairs and flip one. But no, I was. I've never been a, a professional reseller in, in any sense of the word. I mean, I mean, only at the highest level now, I guess. Yes. But but like but, but even that we you know we don't sell anything at StockX. We just match buyers and sellers. Oh, sure. It, it, <laughs> Have you ever sold anything on StockX? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I sell sneakers. I sell more. I sell more more trading cards on StockX than I do anything else now. You got level five. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm. Level Wait, five. what level am I? Because I haven't sold one thing on StockX. I just buy. So level zero. Power, yeah. power buyer. Yeah. I just hit well, level four. At least you're not banned like Welty. We had to ban him at one point. Did it? <laughs> That's not true. You? It is no, true. No, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> I, you really banned Welty? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was one of those things where I think what happened was it was like Christmas time or something like that, and I had to go see my parents, and I had like six shoes I had to ship off. And when that happened, um, there was some problem with the app and I couldn't, I had to go to the office and I couldn't <laughs> log into the app. I couldn't log no, into the app fault. and I was going to, I was going to drop the shoes off. So I got hit with like six did not ships and it, it, uh, it kicked me out of the system. Um, <laughs> is Josh, anyways, how, much, how much pleasure did that bring you to try and ban wealthy from StockX? 
Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone was like, oh, so we like, let's figure out how to get him like reset up. And I was like, nah, fuck that. I was like, let's leave him <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let him sweat it out a little. So are you guys selling more sneakers than eBay at this point? Or dealing with more sneaker transactions than eBay? So I, so I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that insane shoe sales for this, because, you know, we don't sell you shoes. Right. We don't sell a whole lot of just random stuff. But we passed eBay in same shoe sales 11 months into StockX. Wow. I what mean, does that mean, same shoe sales? Like, so we don't sell you shoes. So, like, if you compare total shoes, they may still sell more. I don't know. But we don't. But, like, when Brand I. Brand new shoes, you guys beat them in 11 yeah. months. Yeah. And, and the shoes that we sell. So, if I compare, like, you know, whatever Jordan one, Travis Scott's, you know, brand new to, to them and, and, you know, compare, gotcha. compare for all the shoes. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we, they're no longer even a, a competitor, right? Some of the other guys are, are, are way more of a competitor um, than, than they are goat stadium goods, flight club, et cetera. Right. That's, that's the, the comparison set now eBay, which by the way, eBay is still great. If you want to find some random, you know, shoe, uh, one of a kind or whatever, like that's still, still a good place to find it. But but no, they're not a competitor for... I have to say, the first time I ever sold a pair of shoes on StockX, I immediately saw eBay as a dinosaur and something totally obsolete because StockX is so much easier. I, I haven't taken a sneaker photo since, you know, three clicks and you're good. Like, it's a game changer. I appreciate that because, like, at the core, it really just is about just making it easier. Like, it just shouldn't be that hard to sell a shoe that is essentially a commodity. Like, we all know what a, a Jordan 3, you know, uh, whatever, you know... Um, uh, looks like right. It, like we don't have to to take all those pictures, particularly if it's brand new. That's why everything has to be brand new. So, so I appreciate. It. It's also very easy to buy. They these guys yeah. know that a lot of times before we get on the podcast, we start thinking of things, and then I will like Instacop from from StockX because it's so easy. No, I just remember there was a moment, Joe, when like I think this was like maybe like three years ago. You didn't or two years ago. You didn't know you had heard of StockX, but you hadn't used it yet. And I remember we were just sitting in a random meeting for like ComplexCon or something. And you're like, "What? What is this StockX thing?" And I'm like, "Dude, you just go on here, do this, this, and this." And you're like, "Wait, really? That's all you do?" I'm like, "No, that's all you do." You're like, "I don't trust people with the money and all that shit." I'm like, "No, Joe, you just do yes. it like this." And I think within like a week, you're like, "Hey guys, I bought five pairs of sneakers," and I was like, "Well." Created a monster there. Definitely buy a lot off of StockX. And it's, and you know, you mentioned that eBay is good to go back and get some like collectibles, but there's some, there's definitely a, a big bunch of old school shoes that I'm guessing if I tried them on, they would fall apart. But you, you could get, you could get a, a lot yeah. on, on that platform for sure, on your platform. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. said you want to keep things simple though by, by not selling used shoes. There's, there's no plans for StockX to ever sell used shoes. No, you know, there's, you know, Never say never, but there's kind of a bright line rule in terms of how StockX works in the model, which is we have to be able to sell whatever we sell off of a stock photo. There mm. has one single product page. That's why it's so easy because every single, you know, Jordan 1, Travis Scott is on one page. You never have to go look and try to find it elsewhere. And so to do that, you have to have a stock photo. And to do that, you have to have something that's brand new. If we were selling used shoes, you'd have to see the pictures, because maybe this shoe, the toe box is more creased and this one has heel drag or, or whatever it is. And so it kind of makes it impossible for us to do that under this model. Mm -hmm. Maybe somewhere in the future we have a, a sister site or you have something else, but like the StockX model doesn't work for, for you shoes. As far as actual sneaker sales go, what percentage do you think are like actual like core sneaker heads versus people who are just finding shoes online and seeing that they can actually purchase them on StockX? 
Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I don't have a, an exact number, but I, I'll tell you that that latter group has grown considerably. Like that's where the growth is coming from, particularly during quarantine. Um, you know, it started, of, of course, as you know, the sort of hardcore sneakerhead community, exactly who, you know, you think it is and exactly who, who we know. Um, but what's happened over time is, um, you know, we sell just as many, you know, whatever random, you know, Air Max, you know, random colorway as we do of, of the hype shoes, because it's, again, it's just easier, particularly if you know your size, um, to buy something on StockX as opposed to going to Foot Locker. I mean, look, if you go to Foot Locker or, or any brick and mortar store, I don't mean to call it Foot Locker, but, you know, there's maybe a couple hundred different shoes you can buy at that time but there's 30,000 different shoes on StockX. So maybe you don't want a hype shoe. Maybe you just want a different color of whatever random Air Max is, is sitting at Foot Locker that day. Um, and so that's what, where the growth is happening. And, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but you know, in, the, in the past you know, couple months because of quarantine, all those brick and mortar stores were closed. Mm-hmm. So if you're a random person and you're just like, hey, I need a new pair of shoes for the summer and you go and, and Google Nike Air Max Blue or something, like in some cases, we're actually going to show up ahead of Nike um, because of the, the StockX model, because of that single product page. Um, part of, uh, you know, a big part of our success online has been the fact that we are a dominate SEO because of this unique model where we have. I'm, I'm fighting with you guys on SEO, man. Give me, give me yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even trying to sell shoes. I'm trying to just tell people about the shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to try to pop up in the news feed at the top or something. I think we had that, Brendan, we had that conversation this week where there was a shoe that you had put on and someone was like, how the hell did they find a Biggie Fila? And I'm like, I bet some kid just found that shoe on Google. Are you snitching on my StockX sales? Are you exposing my sales to the world right now? Yes, he's dry dry snitching. Of course he's dry snitching. I only show him to Welty. I don't know. A couple years ago, kind of like a... Temple moment in sneaker shopping's history was the M&M shoot. And I went to Detroit mm-hmm. and you were on set, but I also got a chance to visit headquarters. I want to talk about how did the M&M connection happen with you guys and, and what does it look like now, two years later? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are aware that we have a lot of high profile investors. Um, we did a uh, strategic round super early on. It was all big names, small checks, M&M, Mark Wahlberg, Carly Kloss, Drake, um, you know, a couple other professional sports owners, um, Dancy, Hassan Minaj. Um, so, but it started with M and Mark and it started super organically. We never once said, Hey, we should go get the most famous people in the world involved. What happened was, you know, obviously, um, M is from Detroit and, um, and his manager, Paul Rosenberg, uh, also from Detroit. And Dan is obviously at the center of a lot of things going on in Detroit. And so Paul had been in the office. We hadn't even launched StockX yet. And we used to sit right outside of Dan's office. There were five of us. Dan's office were there. Our desks were just right outside of his office. And one day, Paul was in the office talking to some people on Dan's team about a music festival in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't think ever came to fruition, but he was there. And someone just said, hey, Paul, like, you should see what these guys are working on. And they're like, Josh, show Paul what we're working on. And I was like, sure. And, uh, and that kind of just like opened the conversation. And then he was like, he's like, this is really cool. He's like, we'd love to get involved. And I was like, really? Uh, I was like, okay. And then I found myself, you know, talking to them about, about having them invest because the, the greatest value we could give someone like Em and Paul is to let them invest in the company, right? For us to, to write a check for $50,000 or $100,000 to have them do something for us doesn't really move the needle. And then um, almost like the same week, we were in a meeting with Dan and it randomly came up in the meeting that Mark Wahlberg is often wearing a lot of Jordans. And Dan was like, Oh, I know Mark. 
And uh, like a week later, I was on an email chain with Dan and Mark. And a couple of days later, I'm in California at Mark's house going through a sneaker collection. And again, kind of the same thing. He's like, hey, how can I help? And I was like, I was like, well, we're kind of going to do this thing for, for Eminem. And, and he's like, I was like, would you like to invest? And he's like, yeah. And, um, and so after that, then we actually went out and, and thought about who else would make sense to be involved. Dan tapped some of his network. Um, I just met Don and been talking to Don a lot at that, at that point. And so that's kind of how that came together, but super organic, like was never a intentional thing. And then over the years, all of those people have helped in, in their own way. I mean, nobody has any contractual obligation that they have to do this or that, mm-hmm. you know, for, for M they helped a lot in the beginning. They gave us a pair of, of Carhartts uh, back when only 10 had been released at that point and, and helped promote. It was like our first big promotion. It, I mean, it drove, it's still probably our most successful promotion because we were just so small at the time. Um, and just over time, they've helped in other ways. And so the, the sneaker shopping one was, was great because as you know, he doesn't do a whole lot when he's not on cycle. And it happened to work out. The reason that we were able to make that happen at the time is because he was promoting his album um, at that time. And so we, I don't know if you, if you stuck around or you know, but after, after years, we filmed a short thing. And it was, it was also a promotion where we were giving mm-hmm. away uh, you know, a pair. And, yep. and, and so after, you know, you got, you got the, the full experience uh, with him. We had a five-minute shoot. But, but it, you guys it, mentioned yeah. in the episode, you know, I felt like yeah. it was – Yeah, so, so that, that was, was that great. Was, that was, was a great. great one for us. I remember yeah. snowy in Detroit. Yeah, and oh, it was so uh, – and it, we So cold in the deep. Midnight, yes. right? Because – Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. At, yeah. uh, at, at Burn Rubber with Rick and Rowe and, and that yes. whole thing. It was great, but like all of it, again, it was super organic, right? Like he was, he was down to do it because it was – the album was coming out. It made sense. It was Detroit, you know, and all that. So, um, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. Josh, you had all these big names involved pretty early on. We're talking about Eminem. Mark Wahlberg was involved. And you have Dan Gilbert, who's, you know, part owner of the Cavs, Quicken Loans, and who can help get big names on the phone. Was there ever a period early on there where it looked a little shaky for StockX or, or you didn't know if the whole thing was going to work? Yeah, oh, of course. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue for us in the beginning you know, for a long time was we were very confident in the theory behind the model, the idea that we could leverage how the stock market works to create a marketplace that is, you know, to use your words, you guys, that, it, that it's easier to buy and sell. Mm-hmm. And, and it really, like, the stock market's been around for, for 150 years. Like, this is, we didn't make this up. Like, it, it, is, it is so logical that this should work. And, but all the question was, could we actually create it? Could we create a website that 14-year-old kids could figure out how to buy Yeezys using this bid ask model, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it going to be too complicated? So all of our uh, all of our stress or concern was all around um, essentially that. Because here's the thing: you don't have to convince anyone to buy Yeezys. You don't right. have to convince anyone to buy Jordans. Like mm-hmm. we're so fortunate to sell the most highly coveted products in the world. So from that standpoint, we can just drag off of the back of Nike and Adidas and Rolex and Supreme and Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was, it was in building that. And so, but almost immediately after we launched, um, people were figuring out how to use it. And that was, even though it, it, it always takes time for any business to grow and, and for, particularly for mm-hmm. an online marketplace, but it was the anecdotal uh, response, even in the very beginning of the people that did use it that said, man, that was way easier than eBay. That was a much better experience. And so I don't want to say that we always knew that it would work and we never knew that it would be this big. But even in the beginning, the validation that the model would work, mm-hmm. like that was that was the key, and that was the important stuff, and that's how. It, but like, but you can never imagine that it's going to be this big. So. Yeah, 
I know you believe in that model a lot and, yeah. and keeping the market free and things like that. But do you worry about policing it ever? Because we talk about the stock market and yeah. there's the SEC, but there's no parallel for that for the sneaker market. And I see 19-year-olds on Twitter who want to manipulate the market or want to do a group buy to drive up the price on a pair of shoes. How much does StockX care about that? Is that a problem in your eyes? So it, it's not a problem yet. Um, and I say yet because for the business that we're in, um, it's pretty hard to manipulate the market. Um, if you want to go drive up the price, you have to do that by placing bids. And then you're at risk of some seller just turning around and selling it to you. Right. Like you have to have a credit card there. So all of a sudden, like you may think you're driving it up so that you can sell it more, but you're going to have to eat whatever it is. And, and this is why the StockX model is so powerful because buyers have to have forms of payment on file. Mm -hmm. That bid is a live bid. Like someone hits it, your credit card is charged. Like going back and saying, hey, you know, I, I didn't mean to do that. And then you go look and the person has 10 bids and like, no, nah, man, like you're, you own that shoe. Right. Like, so it's pretty hard to manipulate the market today. As we evolve and as we move into a place where we think we can do things like day trading, where people can buy and sell shoes without taking possession, where we can create indices where people are essentially buying fractional shares, shorts, futures, like all of the really like true financial products that exist in the stock market. As we get into that, there's going to be a whole lot more that we're going to have to worry about and plan on the legal side. We may actually end up in the regulatory side and have to go down that path. I mean, we haven't, we haven't figured that out yet, but that's where I, I'd worry more uh, about that. But today, like it, it, at the end of the day, it, it still just is a consumer goods marketplace. Someone wants to sell, someone wants to buy, we're just connecting mm -hmm. them. And so there's not a whole lot of ways to really manipulate the market today, even less than eBay, because eBay, like shield bidding is a pretty easy way to do that. Right. And because the buyer doesn't have their credit card on file, the buyer can just flake and there's nothing you can do. The buyer disappears into the wind and you're gone if, uh, if that shield bidder ends up as the highest bidder. Speaking of stock market, um, you were the CEO of the brand for a while. There's a new CEO at the brand, Scott Cutler, who was previously at the New York Stock Exchange. Got to meet Scott at that billion dollar thing. I think it's pretty obvious that Scott's not a sneaker guy at at all. Do you ever like worry about that? Like you going from that position and being the sneaker guy CEO to strictly a, a very business-minded person takes over the company. Do you feel like the company shifted away from sneaker culture as he took helm of it? It's, it's, a, it's a fair question. Um, the short answer is no. I, I don't think that we've lost anything from, from the culture, from you know, understanding sneakers or, or that side of it. Um, but it's really important as you, know, you scale running a billion-dollar company, and, and for us, uh, wherever that goes and, and scaling it up from here, which um, we still have a long way to go, um, it's just a much different skill set. You know, like I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a startup guy. Before StockX, the most people that ever worked for a startup that I ran or owned was 12. Right. And we were up to over a thousand people. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it's been great. And to have him to put in the systems and structure and allow us to continue scaling, allow us to be able to open up authentication centers around the world um, and really grow, like that's the important thing because today, like the sneaker culture, I don't want to say it, it, it writes itself, but like there, we're already this ingrained and the products are what drive all of this. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we don't decide that a, a you know, whatever a, a Travis one is worth fifteen hundred hours, the market does. Like the model sets it up where, like the culture, the products themselves. Like, sure, we have to make sure that those right products are on there. But you know, the places where we still have a lot of sneaker knowledge in the business are marketing, catalog, authenticators, 
customer service, like the places where we touch the customer, right? But the fact that that Scott didn't grow up in it doesn't like it doesn't really matter at all, actually. Did you have to teach him about sneakers to some extent? No, and to be fair, like he may not have grown up with it, but he is a sneaker fan and he's been buying stuff. And and part of the reason, I don't know if, if you guys know this, but you know, Scott was an investor in that first round with, with M and Mark and all those guys, and much, much less known than all of them. At the time, he was the CEO of StubHub, um, which we've always viewed as a really good predecessor in what we're trying to do, because StubHub was one of the first companies to really bring primary and secondary markets like retail and resale together in one place, right? Like StubHub is the official resale marketplace for major league baseball. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like the retail and and resale worlds converging and how that works is exactly how we think the sneaker industry moves, right? Like at at this point, if you buy a pair of shoes at StockX, you buy shoes at Foot Locker, Nike, you don't care. You just want that shoe. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's so much value in that, but also like Scott has been around us for a long time. And, um, and so, you know, he's, you know, he, he's more of a sneaker right now than, than he was when he first met us. But, you know, he also he also gets it. But do, do you feel like when all of that happened, do you feel like it put added pressure on, on, on the brand at all? I mean, there obviously has been, you know, a bit of public issues with StockX yeah. at, at the moment. We can't deny it. But do you feel yeah. like with high profile CEO, billion dollar valuation, you know, the potential that the company might go public, that people are speculating at some point. Do you feel like the pressure from all of those things adding up maybe had dictated some business decisions at the company? No, I honestly, I, I almost feel like it's the inverse, right? Like the the pressure of having millions of customers and millions of employees, like, you know, ultimately, like our, our number one, like goal, our, our number one priority is, you know, it's equally customers, and employees, right? like the pressure was to make sure that we're doing everything we can to continue serving them in the right way. And that was, I don't want to kind of like to my own horn, but like, that was like my decision and, and my thing to say, Hey, look, I'm not the right person to like take this to the next level. I've never led a company with more than 12 people. Why would I be the person to, to, to take a billion dollar company to be a $10 billion company? Right. Um, so yeah, I think it was the inverse. It was like, Hey, like there's real, there's real stakes and real pressure. And you know, it's not just, customers who want to buy and sell shoes, but a lot of those customers, they rely on StockX for their business to put food on their table. And so, you know, you're in that scenario where there's a lot of people that then rely on the StockX ecosystem. It's important to have the best people in in the best place. And by the way, Scott also was able to to go out and bring in like A-list executives across the board. Um, You know, since Scott, we've had new CMO, CTO, CFO, um, Chief Communications Officer, Diversity and Inclusion. Um, like down the list, um, you know, and part of that was just that, like, we needed to be in a position to, uh, to do that more formally the way the big companies do. Wealthy mentioned some of the issues with the company in the past year, Josh, you, you know, we're going to talk about some of them. And sure. I, I, I appreciate you coming because you know, we're going to ask those questions, but you've always been willing to answer them and, you know, talk to us about them. And I know people are skeptical or cynical about the word community, but still engage in some way, you know, I, I want to talk about the data breach in, in, se- sure. in summer 2019, how much turmoil was there when that first broke that, that millions of people had their data stolen from StockX? Yeah. Um, first of all, to your, your first point um, or your first question, I love the opportunity to actually have the conversation. Uh, we can't do, you can't do that on Twitter. You, uh, people can, or, or Instagram or whatever. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and actually have the discussion. So thank you. Um, you know, the data breach is probably a good place to start because just sort of chrono- uh, chronologically, 
but also just talking about Scott, um, Scott had just joined the company. He had only been right. there uh, maybe a couple weeks, six weeks, something like that, you know, relative. And immediately it became uh, apparent in terms of his value in order to take control of that situation and, um, you know, and, and make sure that, that we can navigate through it. Um, it was, it's horrible. Like it, it's just a horrible thing to happen. And, and, you know, what often gets overlooked is the fact that it happened because there's some bad people on the other end of that that are doing bad stuff. Um, and so, yeah, like it was on us to, to figure out how to very quickly react to that as fast as we could and, um, and to solve it with the highest priority being the, you know, immediate protection of, of everyone's data as fast as we can. Um, and then everything else, you know, follows from that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's over, it's over a year ago now. Um, and, um, like it'll always be on our record that that happened, but in a lot of ways, the business today is more secure and more safe than ever because we went through that, because we, um, you know, have put in, you know, all those, um, uh, all those protections and everything else. So, um, was it a dark place for you personally? Because I feel like people love to attack StockX and people were waiting for something like this to happen. I mean, I, I think the real victims are obviously yeah. the, the people who had their information on the dark web, but you personally, how much yeah. did it hurt? Uh, you know, I don't want to say that it wasn't bad, but from the day that StockX became relevant, I get all sorts of, you know, hate trolls on my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. I mean, they find me everywhere. Um, and, you know, there was a time in, uh, God, it was, I forget exactly when it was, but it was early as like 2017, mm -hmm. when we raised fees. So our fees used to be 7% when we launched and, and we raised them to where they are now to nine and a half percent at some point. And we, I mean, 7% was, I mean, really, really cheap. And, uh, and I remember when that happened, like the amount of vitriol that I had on everywhere, like I just had to stop like reading it and stop responding. It was, you know, it was so bad. And my wife would see it on like my personal Instagram page and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But like, that's just like comes with the territory. Um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, I was listening to a podcast with Malcolm Gladwell about like six months ago. And he was talking about how, you know, anyone who, who's in any public business, any public guy, there's going to be people that like you and people that dislike you. And he said, but, and we all know this, you guys know this, you guys are all out there. I'm sure you get all sorts of comments everywhere for all the stuff that you guys do. The people that hate you are going to be way louder and way, way than the people that like you. And so Malcolm's point was, he's like, man, when I see my hate comments rolling up on Twitter, he goes, that means I'm just selling more books hmm. because he's, that, that group is getting bigger, which means the overall group is getting bigger. And, and that's, and that's kind of what, what's happened is like, you know, StockX is so big and there's so many customers that those loud voices are so loud and they get a little bit bigger. So, you know, I, I've, I've learned to ignore them. Um, in the early days of StockX, I used, to, I used to fight everyone on Twitter. They had to take away my like credentials from the StockX Twitter account in, like the beginning because that's just natural, you know, and now like I, I try not to even read them. So I appreciate the, the question, but yeah, it's, it was more important for the, for the customers and I've gotten used to the, the, the hate trolls. I think, I think, I mean, coming from my own personal situation, I mean, I've, I put it out there. It was Black Friday. I uh, go to buy something um, on the internet, um, good sale, whatever. And I go to check my PayPal account and my PayPal account is on zero. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? You know what I mean? And then I go and check my my uh, personal email account, which you have all your spam and all that sort of stuff. So I finally find the StockX email and there was a pair of Wave Runners 
getting shipped to East New York. And I'm like, I live in New Jersey. Like, how is, how is this happening? And from my point of view, it like really pissed me off because, you know, I feel like when, I remember when it first happened, that StockX just said, Hey, change your password. And that was all that came out. It wasn't, Hey, our data has been breached. You really need to do this. It's important. It's just like, Hey, something came up, just change your password. And yep. that was like months ago. And then, but to have that happen to someone where $500 gets taken out of their account, like I'm okay financially. Like it didn't really affect me. It was in my PayPal anyways. That's like my play money, whatever. But I can imagine someone who's trying to pay rent and it's the end of the year and they get hit for $500 out of their checking account and now they can't pay rent. And it's all because the company that they had signed up for wasn't really like forthcoming with it in, in the, in the first place. And it's not here to be like, fuck you, you're a bad person in, in all that sort of stuff. But I just had wished that StockX had when it when it happened had just been forthcoming and honest and being like you know what we did fuck up we did lie to you about it but we shouldn't have done that from the start and I feel like when that whole situation came and being on the inside of it it felt like a lot of the new business and money that was in it kind of drove the decision not to be as forthcoming in that scenario yeah so so let me say it's first of all um there's two halves of that. The first half with regard to the customer experience, the fact that it happened, the fact that, you know, you could be in a scenario or, or a person could be in a scenario where, you know, they, they can't pay rent or they have that, like, it's horrible. Like there, there's just, it, it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be a, a, a worse situation. And, um, and we can, you know, you can point a whole lot of fingers in terms of who's at blame for it with regard to whether, you know, ultimately it's, it's the hackers and the people that are trying to do bad stuff, whether we didn't have the appropriate security, you know, whatever it is. Um, but but the second part where you went into the, um, sort of some of the comments around the reaction um, and 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 how we how we handled it, um, your perception of that is the perception of most people, and and that's super unfortunate because the reality of of the the different comments and the timing of the comments that went out was always to try to protect the customers as fast as we possibly could. There were a couple of different statements, and the first statement was it was essentially that we were resetting everyone's password without any other information. A systems update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is which which is true. We obviously left out a lot of information about why and what was going on. The short the short answer of all that is that we didn't have enough information to make a full disclosure to say everything that was going on. But we knew that that everyone needed we needed to update everyone's passwords and and lock everything down ASAP. So you have three options in that scenario, right? You can do nothing, which is the worst possible option because then people's passwords, everything else, you know, stays stays up for longer, right? Mm -hmm. You can do what we do, we do what we did, and we talked through how that how that played out and the perception of it, or you can try to say everything you possibly know, but if you don't have enough information to do that, like you can end up with way worse consequences because we were still working through that. I mean, we ended up making a full disclosure on everything. I think it was like six days, which hmm. if you look at, at some of the other data breaches in the companies, by the way, the same week that it happened to us, it happened to like LinkedIn, Southwest and Capital One. So it, it's not like that this is like unique, like this is what happens when you become a big company. And so like, we absolutely like, you know, regret and wish that the, the perception around the communication and, and ambiguity created had been different. 
but I still think that it was the best decision at the time in which to do that. And, you know, that's just the reality of, of being in a tough situation that, that no one really, you know, has the, the exact answers or, or, or what to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, like everyone got their money back. Like, yes, like there was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, inconvenience and all of it. Um, but yeah, like it, it's a, it's a thing that, that we went through and not, and not unique. Like this is, you know, how many, how much money in fraudulent purchases total do you believe were made on StockX during the breach? Oh man, I, I, I honestly don't even know. I, I would hate to, to guess at, at that. Um, I, I really don't know. Was there, um, a big drop off in users after that or they came back? Usually what happens, um, when we have issues is we see a big drop off in NPS. Um, you know, net promoter score, which is how um, a lot of companies are, are size uh, measured or essentially customer sentiment, how they feel about us. Um, and, um, and that's important. Um, and, um, and then you have a, a big drop in NPS and a smaller drop in, in customers and, and, and all that. So, uh, and that's, that's pretty much what we saw. Um, the reality of the data breach is even though um, it affected, um, you know, the whole company it was a company-wide issue, if you didn't have a, um, uh, if you didn't have something happen to you like Welty did, and you um, and and you weren't, you know, paying that close attention, you may not even know that it happened, because right, and and which is which is the best case scenario for everyone is you don't want anything to happen and like let me just move on with my life, um, or you know stuff like that. So so yeah, but that happens in in any PR issue that 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 we have, which is like sentiment changes a lot. Um, but you know the the business changes is really a function of of um, you know it's slower because people still want to buy the product people still want to sell the product. And are you worried at all? I know there's a class action lawsuit that's in the Eastern District of Michigan right now, and I know StockX has filed a motion to dismiss it because users basically sign an agreement when they apply the terms of service where they can't bring a class action lawsuit against StockX and. Maybe it'll get dissolved back individual suits, but are, are you worried about that? So, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about like any of this. Like, I, I can't talk about an ongoing lawsuit. Um, so we just can direct that one to, to our legal counsel. But yeah, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about ongoing lawsuit. Fair enough. Josh, after that, um, you know, Corona hits, um, there was, I think it was, was a Business Insider story that put out that said that StockX was putting employees in dangerous working conditions. I mean, um, what I had heard is that you guys were just following the standards. Other warehouses were open, you know, Amazon and, and all of that. So it wasn't that you were the only people open. I guess when it comes to sneakers, it cuts a little closer to a core community than it does just general consumer like like Walmart does. Um, you, you know, I, you guys had put out a statement saying that there was like a misleading headline um, in facts on the on the business insider thing, do you feel like StockX kind of got slandered in that situation, or was it a fair criticism? Well, let me ask you guys what what are your general thoughts on on clickbait headlines behind a paywall? Right? I mean, it's, you know, it, yeah, uh, we don't we don't we, yeah, right. We don't need it to go down that path. But here's the thing: is if you read that article and and go through the facts of it. Um, yeah, like it was it was misleading. The the reality was everyone was trying to figure out, you know, how do we react to the the new normal? Um, do we do we shut down the operations? Do we have to change them? What are the different laws in each executive order? Because we have authentication centers in four different cities and and three different countries, right? So 
Britain, the U.S., you know, it's Atlanta, New Jersey, Detroit, and, and Arizona. Um, and so in all those cases, we're trying to understand what the executive order are, what, what's allowed to be done, what's not, and how to create a socially distanced and safe uh, work environment. Um, the driving decision in all of that is like in priority, it's like legal has to be one. The state says you got to shut down, you got to shut down. But if they don't, two is how do you create a, a safe work environment for your, uh, for, your, for your team? And three is how do you maintain operations? Because StockX is only an intermediate marketplace, which means that we don't have, there's no ability for a seller to ship directly to a buyer. Like the whole system is a seller ship to authentication centers and we send it to the buyer. So if the authentication centers were to be closed, the business would shut down. And, you know, although it's a big business, we're still a venture funded business, mm -hmm. which means that we're still in, you know, taking on investment in order to fund operations so that if we don't have any revenue coming in, it doesn't take very long before you can't actually pay anybody. And so not only would our employees not be able to get paid and they would be out of work, but then all the people that rely on StockX for them in order to um, to make a living and, and pay, they also would be out of it. So like, you know, at every step, we're trying to make sure that as long as it's legal, once we create a safe work environment, like the goal is you keep the business running because, you know, there's a lot of people that rely on it. And and we took all those steps appropriately and, and it was absolutely, um, you know, done with, with the utmost care. Um, you know, But there we, were employees who felt like it wasn't a safe workplace. You know, I've seen some of the internal yeah. Slack messages where people were concerned that, that, you know, there were rumors about employees testing positive for COVID and things like that, and that there wasn't enough social distance at warehouse. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, look, the, the amount of fear that existed in the world at that time was extraordinary, right? You know, we have a, a, an absolutely unbelievable um, head of our operations, whose name is, is Sean McCartney, who came over and joined the, the team uh, before all of this started, basically at the end of last year. Um, and to have somebody like that in leadership there to uh, to navigate through this was was unbelievable. And um, we were absolutely following all the protocols, making sure that everybody was safe, um, you know, in in every way and all the best knowledge at the time. But there's just a lot of fear at the time. Like nobody knew what was what was safe, what was not safe, and and just being out of the house was was uh, admittedly you know very scary. But all employees had the option to not work and, and keep their job, right? So they could, they could not work and, you know, and that was fine. And, and so we went through a lot of that. So, um, yeah, I don't fault anybody for, for being uh, scared or for sending those messages, but the reality of the situation was that it was managed really well. I think the hardest part to manage maybe though, I mean, you, you have the employee safety picture, but like you said, it's also keeping the company moving and keeping payouts going. You know, I've talked to a couple of resellers who are, complaining to me about having hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of transactions that are stuck on their account for, for multiple weeks. I know, I know, you know, you're not the CEO anymore. You're, you're kind of uh, in a different role now, but do you still pay attention to things like that? And does it, is it hard yeah. to see that much pressure put on the system? Like how do we get all these people their money? Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is right now we're in the middle of, of um, we're actually at the tail end of, you know, the worst delays we've ever had in, in, in the entire company. Um, and, uh, and it's horrible. And, you know, it, it's right now, this is our highest priority uh, within the business. And, um, but it's almost the, the flip side of, of what we were just talking about, right? Um, there's a lot of reasons why there's delays. One, the business has grown way more than we thought it would during COVID. You just had your two biggest months ever. 
yeah, three biggest months, actually. May, June, and July were, were in order our three largest months ever, which is extraordinary. And it, we're obviously very happy about that. And it, it's humbling. Um, but it puts a, a strain on the system because we sit in the middle. We have to authenticate every single product. And we can't just go hire someone off the street to be an authenticator. And at the end of the day, we're just not going to compromise on that process of how we hire people, how we train them, what we let them authenticate and the authentication process. And like, that's got to be, you know, that, that's got to be upheld. On the flip side, we're not going to change the, the working conditions like that. There has to be social distance. There has to be certain things, you know, within authentication centers that frankly means that things take longer. Um, or, 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 or could, could be more efficient if we could be closer, if we could do certain things, but we're not going to compromise on the safety of our workforce either. So you have these two things that have combined in addition to, to the, just the, there's also delays from UPS and third party, you know, mm-hmm. on top of that, just from COVID and the whole supply chain world is, is, um, is weaker right now. So you have all of that and it's led to a, a, a super unfortunate situation. Um, we had something a little bit similar during holidays of 2017 when the business grew about 5x in five weeks. That's when we really realized that we had a, a big business and, and like kind of the whole world found out about StockX during, during that holiday season. We had just launched Supreme, then combined with holidays and, and the company exploded. Um, and like there was just no reason to think that the business would grow this fast during quarantine, um, particularly in you know March, April, where everything just kind of like, stopped. I mean, business mm-hmm. was still going on, but like no one knew what was going on. Um, and, uh, but the Sean and the team have done a phenomenal job. We're, uh, we're actually, we'd probably be back to normal timing by the end of this month, if not sooner, I think it may be even like this week. And part of that is hiring, training, more authenticators, creating better processes and opening up more authentication centers, which, um, are, we have several that are in the works as well, which also doesn't happen overnight. You got to find a spot, you got to lease it, you got to, you know, there's a whole lot that goes into that. And so, um, you know, on one hand, like, it's like, it's tough. And, and <laughs> mentioned earlier, the, the number of comments on my personal accounts uh, have exploded in the past month. Uh, most people figure out that I wasn't CEO anymore and it slowed down. But at this point, no, they're going to yell at anybody they can and I don't blame them. Uh, and but but yeah, we should be pretty close to back to normal. But it's an extraordinary situation that I don't think anybody would want us making different decisions around authentication or team member safety. When the brick and mortar stores of the, of your competition that you named earlier kind of closed doors because of quarantine, did you guys see an influx of business? Was that something that really contributed to these last few months of a lot of business for you guys? Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a direct correlation or, or number, mm-hmm. but, but absolutely. Like I, I think that, I think what really happened was you had, People got adjusted to new normal. Then the stimulus checks hit. Then summer hit, right? And now you have people that, that might want to buy a new pair of shoes, go running, whatever it is. Um, and uh, and all, everything was closed. And all the brick and mortar stores were closed. Um, and, you know, if you go and just Google any sneaker, we're likely to come up near the top of the rankings, if not the top. And so I, I definitely think that, that that's, that's a part of it. Josh, do you also look at, do you also look at, you know, it's kind of like if you run retail, if you own a store, you look at what's coming up next and you're like, these are going to do well. This summer, we've seen Grateful Dead Dunks and Ben and & Jerry's and we have the Union Jordan 4s coming out. How good are you at identifying? Obviously, it's not that hard to identify that people are going to go crazy over certain pairs, but how far in advance do you see that stuff? Yeah, this is a, a really good point that ties back into the question you guys asked earlier around 
around Scott and um, essentially the, the fact that he's not necessarily a sneakerhead. We have an unbelievable forecasting team. And, um, you know, these guys have, um, you know, it takes time and reps and, but, you know, it's a data forecasting team. And we have a few people in there that have hardcore sneaker knowledge to be able to, to bring in the relevant parts of sneaker knowledge. But a lot of it is, is data looking at trends on what we've sold previously, on how many pairs are releasing, all of it. And, and we're, re- we're usually pretty accurate in terms of how many pairs we're going to sell on stuff. And, um, you know, and the guy that leads that team's not a sneakerhead and that's okay. Right. Like he knows how to build a really great forecasting team and bring in the sneaker information to do that. So, you know, we're constantly doing that in order to, um, figure out, um, how to, and essentially it's how to, how do you staff operations authentication and also customer service because customer service goes up proportionate with the amount of volume we have as well. Um, but you know, even with the, the, you know, the best forecasting, like, you know, it's been growing faster than, than we can staff up. But, but like I said, I mean, we're all super excited, like knock on wood, like, you know, end of this week, end of the month at the latest, we should be back to normal timing for, for processing. What's, what's been your biggest come up on StockX all time? You mean personally for, for purchasing? Yeah. Me, per, well. I hope I, you're still using it, Josh. You bought, you bought, was your most yeah. expensive the Presto still, or did you drop on something else? No, well, so my most expensive shoes are still the Prestos. I haven't spent more than that. I spent nine hundred on those. Okay, but I buy more baseball cards and sell more baseball cards on StockX than, than anything. Can you I'm, guys add Magic cards? Yeah, but uh, not yet. So we uh, whenever you're ready, Josh. Magic. Yeah. You need but Josh, I don't get it. Why are people waiting out at Walmart for new packs? I thought it was Joe, only. We're talking magic cards right now. Oh no, we're not talking magic cards. Hold on, the new packs at Walmart. People waiting for them. I thought it was only yeah. like vintage baseball cards that used to be the most valuable ones. Now yeah. the new packs are as well, or, or what? Yeah, everything. I mean, uh, to be fair, you know, at Target, Walmart, you usually have maybe about twenty percent of those are going to be valuable, and people are, are trying to get. My guess is that that we're now in an era where Target, Walmart, and the distributors are going to start changing that. Um, because today you can still go buy whatever you want to buy. I mean, this is like still like wild, wild west. But yeah, the card industry has absolutely been exploding for the past two years. The last six months has been ridiculous. I mean, by, by comparison, a year ago, LeBron's kind of like core rookie card in the highest condition in a PSA 10 was worth about a thousand bucks. Okay. And today it's close to 20,000. What? Right. You know, uh, Giannis a year ago was five hundred bucks. Today it's eight thousand. Um, so know, in Walmart, they're looking for maybe a Zion Williamson rookie card. Exactly, exactly. And so what they're looking at is they're trying to buy that and try, try to pull a Zion out of it, and you know, or whatever each each subsequent one. And there's all sorts of different cards you can buy, and you know, it stratifies. There's still cards you know you buy that that don't you're not going to get anything. Um, Super like valuable ma- out of it, magic you know, cards for- like this yeah. guy likes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm waiting till we could because he almost told me that they were going to add magic cards to stock X, we, but I didn't we get will the answer. It, we will at some point. I mean, we're really focused on sports. We have Pokemon. Okay, but Josh, when when you need an expert <laughs> on magic, yeah, I'm the guy. All right. Well, are you telling Welty and Joe that that there's an opening in this podcast? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys going to start one? Josh, I have another question. I always read in the past that you guys, you looked at eBay as like the, not the end all be all, but something that you really wanted to build. And you see watches, you see cards. and Magic. You, magic cards. Yeah, sure. Do you, is it still kind of the North Star for you 
eBay to build it's, where StockX one day will be that you can get any product on the platform or has that vision shifted a little? So I, I think that I, I, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's not exactly the, the way that we've been looking at it. What we look at it is essentially today, there's two large marketplaces that control how we buy stuff. You have eBay and Amazon. And each of those have a slightly different model, right? eBay is essentially, it's an auction model. eBay is great for that unique one of a kind item. And Amazon is great for things that are purely commoditized ready. So paper towels and toilet paper and soap and Cheerios, right? Like essentially things that have infinite supply. And our vision was always that StockX should be the third marketplace there for things that are supply and demand constrained. So like eBay is like supply of one, Amazon is, is infinite supply, and StockX is things that have like finite supply. So things that, you know, there's only a hundred of or a thousand of or, or whatever it is. And that's why that stock market model be really well to, to do that. So it's not that we were trying to take over eBay or be eBay. It's that we saw that like today it's eBay and, and Amazon. We thought it should be eBay, StockX and Amazon. Like that's the vision that this is a third way to buy something. And it's on par with those two companies. Do you ever feel like the sneaker brands are not happy with the piece of the pie that you're taking. I know StockX has relationships. I know you've done projects with Nike, Adidas, other brands, but do you feel like they look at you as an adversary sometimes? Not as an adversary. I think um, I think they most people, and I don't want to generalize because obviously brands are made up of, of many different people, but I think that many people at, at the sneaker brands still have a very old school view of how the sneaker market should work. And that that old school view is a very bright line between retail and resale. Mm -hmm. And that's how things used to be. And, but that's not how they are anymore. <laughs> it's a very blurred line and it's driven by customers and the customer just wants the product. They don't care where they get it from. They don't care, you know, where they get it from StockX or Foot Locker or Nike or the guy down the street. They just want that pair of shoes. And once you accept that, then there should be ways for us to work together. And that gets into what we call our IPO model, how we've released products with brands right. and go down that path. And I think that that is, you know, a big part of the future for us and the industry, because again, like if you just listen to the customer, like they don't care about that distinction. They just want yeah. the product. Your response to that is um, Slim Charles from The Wire. The thing about the old days is they the old days. <laughs> What's funny is I've been rewatching The Wire. I wow. just finished season one. Uh, that is amazing callback of uh, Slim Charles. That's awesome. So, what what are you doing when you get Bezos money then? If you're planning on being the next Amazon, what's the what's yeah, the innovation? What what's Josh. no? But what's the the Josh Luber like? I got a billion dollars in the bank in the bank account. I don't need to do this anymore. Where are you going? What are you doing? I'm I I'm not joking. If I had a hundred million dollars today, which I don't, if I had a hundred million dollars today, but you're close. I would spend. I'm saying if I had a hundred million in cash, I would put. 30 million in cash into baseball cards. Wow. This is manipulating the market right here. He's selling something. He's selling something. $30 million. I was like, what is he going to say? I'm emailing the SEC right now. Wow. Okay. Are you trying to make this bubble bigger? We would, we would, we would trade. I'm just telling you, trading cards are, we are where sneakers was in 2014, right? Where like, it's about to be the biggest thing in culture and commerce. What should I buy? It's, yeah. 
but hey, Josh, I think Jordan, Jordan, Giannis, Luca, LeBron, like it's not complicated. Brady, Mahomes, but, yeah. But is it all about the quality? Because I have an Ozzy Smith rookie that has doggy ears to yeah. death. Is that not worth a lot? That's not worth shit. Yeah. Okay, it has to. <laughs> yeah. What it has to be pristine. PSA yeah, 10. I mean, it's, PSA it's, 10, yeah. It, it's like anything, right? I mean, okay. there, there's variation. Different prices are of different cards, but it's um, we're we're in the. We're in the third inning of this thing, right? Got it. Last year has been extraordinary growth. And just like sneakers in 2014, 2015, it's just more people coming in. You have this entire generation of American males who grew up collecting cards in the 80s and 90s who are now of the age where they can afford that Jordan rookie they couldn't afford as a 12-year-old. But now they went to card shops with their, with their father as a 12-year-old. Now they have 12-year-old kids who are getting into cards and they're doing it with them. And then once you realize that cards are a true asset, a true investment, if I spend 20 grand on LeBron rookie, it's not like spending 20 grand on a pair of sneakers. It's, it's instead of spending 20 grand on a, on a Vanguard mutual fund or whatever other investment you would have. And once you cross that threshold, like you understand that this is an actual investment. Well, man, like in the next couple of years, we're going to see exactly what happened in sneakers. There's millions of people coming into the the, the card space. But how, so, how, how, still how do you get people to think that like, because we all remember buying cards growing up, but then you also remember I, cards completely going away. And like, I don't think the Ken Danico like card that I had that I bought for a dollar twenty five down at the, you know, the local card shop is is worth anything. So, so how how are you actually convince people that? This trend that has been here before in complete the market completely fucking dissipated is yeah. actually going to be a viable means that it's not going to happen again. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons, but the most important is this is the market, the card market crashed entirely in, in the mid-90s. And the reason was there was no transparency. There was no this is pre-internet. So everybody mm-hmm. thought they were the only one with 12 ADI and Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. rookies. But guess what? We all had 12 AI and Upper Deck rookies. It was just, there was no transparency to how much supply was out there. And the brands kept making more and more cards. And so you got to this place that once everyone figured out what was out there, there was way too much product and it all became worthless and it went away. Today, we're in the exact opposite scenario where there is just perfect transparency into all of it even better so on the graded cards because all of the grading card companies, PSA being the leading, you can go to their website and see exactly how many LeBron 2003 rookie PSA 10s have been graded. And by the way, the, the answer to that number is like 2005 or something like that. So think about that. There's only 2,000 LeBron rookies in the best condition in the whole world. There are millions of people that might want to own a LeBron rookie. So the supply and demand is so extraordinary that like the fact that it's $20,000 it probably seems cheap. Like that should be a, a $250,000 card, maybe more. And that's what's going on now is we have perfect transparency into supply, into supply and demand is, is growing every single day as more people come in. And so you have this, this sort of perfect storm because just like sneakers, and by the way, at the center of both industries, it's Michael Jordan. At the center of it's like, it's the same people, different customer. The way I buy sneakers is different than the way I buy cards. But like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, we're already past the point of me thinking that it might not happen. Like, it is definitely happening. And it's happening. I'm so mad you guys turned this thing into a fucking sports card podcast just like that. He's good at what he does, bro. You haven't asked me what my job is at StockX today. My job <laughs> is, is, is that. Like, I, so I, I still do this and I still do interviews. And if we ever go back to post-COVID world, public speaking stuff. 
but I lead the trading card business because that's what I think is, is the biggest opportunity. And it's also kind of the startup within a startup. And it's perfect. Scott and the, and the rest of the team can figure out how to scale a billion dollar company to a $10 billion company. And, and I get to figure out how to take a, comp, you know, a, a part of the business that's essentially zero and how do we build it up and, and to be a you know, relevant part of the business. So it's, um, but I also believe in it wholeheartedly. I have a lot of my own money in the cards. Like I said, if I had more money, I'd put more money into it. Um, and I really do think it's, it's still super early. Um, well, let me know when you want to talk, you know, yeah. Japanese misprinted Tarmogoyfs and uh, yeah. f- fresh booster boxes of unlimited shit well, like by that. By the way, PSA only has one office out. They, they, their main office in LA, they only have one other office and it's in Tokyo. And it's because of the rise of all the gaming cards, not just Ooh, magic, but you know, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Look at that. Well, Josh, <laughs> we, we know you, um, we know you're a busy man. We really appreciate you coming on. We really appreciate you being candid with these questions. Yeah. And uh, it's always good to catch up with you. We definitely have to circle back once, um, you know, the card stuff keeps keeps popping. And who knows where sneakers will be when that happens as well. So definitely, definitely got to circle back. And again, thanks so much for taking the time. Stay safe. I'm sure hopefully sooner than later we'll, we'll run into each other in uh, IRL. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to, to have an, uh, the real discussion about the issues that are important. They are important. Um, it's the highest priority of the business to, to, for our customers to, to help figure it out. Um, and, um, and I appreciate talking about it. So it's it good talking to you guys. And awesome, I, I, wanna, I, I didn't Thanks, tell you, I mentioned at the start before you got on, though, I'm a newly level four. So I just want to thank everybody who helped me get there on StockX. Oh, wow. Congrats. <laughs> you get a you get a shiny nickel, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, good. Thanks, Thanks, guys. See ya. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jennifer Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.